Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. With 12 games to go, it's building up to be an historic season at the top and bottom of the league. But will the winners come from an unlikely source? If you're going to uh, compete with the best, your cities, Chelsea's, Arsenal, Tottenham's, you, you've got to get maximum points on the road. Just keep pushing them sides all the way. While Liverpool stake their claim for the title, can rivals Manchester United make the top four? It's going to be difficult, that's for certain. Anything's possible in football, but that little gap that's there, or big gap that's there, I just think it's going to be too difficult for me to do it. And the entire bottom half of the league is in the the relegation mix and one of Tony Pulis's former charges says he could be the difference. You look at Crystal Palace, they were finished. Tony Pulis took the job and before it even got to January the 1st when he can make changes, he'd made such a big difference to that team that it was the same players. We speak exclusively to former Potters defender Danny Higginbottom about life at the Britannia. Manchester United legend Lou Macari joins us to discuss their top four chances. We ask how the league's first ever German manager can guide Fulham to safety and we speak to Swansea's club chaplain and Panther I'm Hero. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Dave Farah and joining me to look at how the top flight is shaping up is former West Ham Charlton and Ipswich midfielder Matt Holland and making his podcast debut, the Sunday Times football correspondent Jonathan Northcroft is with us as well. Uh, Matt, first of all, no Barclays Premier League games this week, but there was a terrific FA Cup match between Arsenal and Liverpool that caused um, a deal of controversy, I think. Just a bit, yeah. I thought it was a fantastic game. Liverpool will look back and think how they haven't got at least a draw out of the match. Uh, second half thought they were sensational. Should have had another penalty after being awarded one, but it was a sensational game. Well, throughout the season, we're on the lookout for the standout moments of sportsmanship in the game through our hashtag YouAreFootball campaign. The Liverpool fans singing the name of Sir Tom Finney before the game was, was certainly one of the moments of the weekend, as indeed was the reaction um, all around the country, Jonathan. Yeah, and that was a lovely gesture, particularly because Tom Finney was a great hero of, of Bill Shankly and, and there was a lovely bit of continuity there. I thought the, the atmosphere at Deepdale and the Preston players all wearing Finney on the back of their shirts was fantastic. I was at the Etihad Stadium where there was very warm applause to commemorate him. I do feel that in general, older players from previous eras aren't recognised the way they should be. We, we, we tend to be a little bit here and now about our football. Just reading the obituaries of, of Tom Finney has been a real pleasure. This was a sensational footballer who, who played on the left, who played on the right, and then at the age of 34 converted himself into a, into a centre-forward. And this was in an era where centre-forwards were your sort of Nat Lofthouse, big battering type, ram types. And he was a small, elusive player who played the role in a different way and was a great success in, in his late 30s. Seems like he would have been a, a great player in the modern game. He was also, a, I was lucky enough to interview him, a, a, a gentleman, a, a wonderful man, and um, a one-club man too, Matt. Yeah. And that's something that seems a rarity these days. Well, he didn't. He wasn't without an opportunity to, to make a move either. Um, he could have earned a lot more money by moving to Italy. Decided against that. He stayed at, at his hometown club. Didn't win any major honours. And sometimes you look back at a career and, and think, well, I didn't win anything. But he stayed at his team. He was a fantastic player. I mean, I, I wasn't lucky enough to, to meet him or even watch him, him play. But when you see some of the footage, and he was out of this world. Yeah, absolutely uh, tremendous. And, and from a one-club man from the 1950s, we start the show with a one-club man from the modern era, Stephen Gerrard in his 16th Barclays Premier League season for Liverpool and sitting in fourth spot, just four points off leaders, Chelsea. Could this be the year his club finally pushed for the title? The England midfielder says playing away from Anfield could be key. Well, I think our home form's... Um 
spectacular at the moment. We're really punishing teams and scoring heavy. Uh, so the key for us is can we find that consistency away from home? And you know, if you're going to uh, compete with the best, your cities, Chelsea's, Arsenal, Tottenham's, you, you've got to get maximum points on the road. Just keep pushing them sides all the way, and they've all got big Champions League games. And we may only have one game a week to concentrate on. So. We've got a slight advantage, so if we're in the mix when the Champions League starts, who knows, because we're improving all the time. I think when you get to, to my age, you know, you want to cherish every moment and try and achieve whatever you can in your final few years, and I'd love nothing better than to say Champions League football back at this club. Matt, they were beaten by Arsenal in the FA Cup, although that might be a bonus. I mean, there's no Champions League uh, albatross around their neck either. If they can hang on in there for another three weeks, say, are they realistic title challenges rather than just top four? I think you have to include them because the amount of goals they score, going forward, they look great. The pace on the counter-attack with Sterling and, and Sturridge, the guile and quality of Suarez, Gerrard dictating proceedings from midfield. I think you have to say that they're right in the mix. You question marks would come about their defence. I think you'd like to get Sacco back fit, maybe Enrique at left back, and that would make them stronger. You know, they are out of the competitions and, and not in Europe. The fixtures aren't bad either. So they're there and thereabouts, and, and they're very much in the mix. In a funny way, Jonathan, the, the 5 1 against Arsenal was stunning, particularly the first 20 minutes. That was the headline grabber, but the win at Fulham may end up being almost the momentum continuer, shall we say. That was as impressive in a different way as, as the game against Arsenal um, and it's interesting to hear Steven Gerrard talking about away form there if you look at the contenders the one team that have got it nailed down in terms of beating the smaller teams as it were is Arsenal they've actually been quite relentless for a year now and I feel that that's what Liverpool need to do Liverpool seem to trip up in the the West Broms or the Southamptons those type of games but what's interesting about this title race in the Bartley's Premier League is all of the contenders have got strengths but they've also got weaknesses Do you get the feeling Matt that it's this season or never in a way for a club like Liverpool because at some point as Jonathan says one of those teams will turn into a machine someone might start to win and win and win maybe Manchester City with more investment it's almost now or never for a team like Liverpool and Brendan Rodgers Well Man City and Chelsea will both be stronger next season because I think Chelsea will go out and get a striker and I think Man City will buy someone at centre-half to play alongside Vincent Company. So all of a sudden, both those teams are going to be stronger next year. But you'd also say that Liverpool have, have got better and better. If they can keep Luis Suarez, obviously finishing the top four will be key to that. He, he wants to play Champions League football. I think that's quite evident. But this year, they've got a real opportunity. And if they can beat those teams at home, then they're going to give themselves a great chance. Well, let's hear now from Rogers, more from the guys in a moment. But he's delighted with the progress of his squad. You think in the last 18 months we've built and, and developed... We'll continue along that route. You know, for us, the objective was to finish as high as we possibly could over 38 games. Let's see where it takes us. And I think what we've shown that in the Barclays Premier League, you need energy and commitment. And to be at the top of the table or fighting for the top, you need to have that energy, commitment and quality. And we've got those three components within our team. Jonathan, you're based up in the in the northwest, and you'll know as well as anyone that a lot of Liverpool fans didn't want Rodgers. They didn't think he was the right guy for the club, and it has been an inspired appointment. They're won over mm. now, aren't they, I think, the Liverpool fans? I think there's a division on, on Rodgers from the start. And let's not forget he took over from Kenny Dalglish, who was, who was an icon. Some of them were enthused straight away by his energy and, and the way he talks. I mean, he, he is actually quite emotive and inspirational from a fan's point of view to listen to. Some were sceptical. They thought, you know, this is a young manager who hasn't won anything, 39 years old. You know, why aren't we going out and appointing proven Champions League manager? As soon as his reign started and they could see the progress and they could see the football on show, even when results weren't right, at, at the very start of Brendan Rodgers' reign, there was a bit of buy-in 
Um, and the players got behind it. Steven Gerrard was extremely important very early on, saying to the fans, listen, this guy, he's got it, and, and, and we like what's happening in, in training. We like what's happening here. He's earned a lot of credit by handling difficult situations like the Luis Suarez contract situation very, very well. He's improving players which which you know supporters love to see that he's improving young players like Raheem Sterling there isn't the same pressure on him as a manager in Liverpool as a club than there is on the other clubs next season there'll be a lot more expectation because of what he's done this season he's also shown that he can be adaptable he doesn't have to have more possession than the opposition now because of the pace and the quality he's got going forward sometimes it's about doing things a little bit quicker and getting the ball through to Coutinho and Suarez and Sturridge to do their magic so I think he's been adaptable in his time at the club as well Love Roger's description of Coutinho, by the way. Uh, it's Brazilian street footballer, he called him, who's able to <laughs> apply it in the Barclays Premier League. Liverpool's key match is just finally uh, on Liverpool. Uh, 16th of March, Manchester United away. 30th, Spurs at home. 12th of April, City at home. Manchester City, that is. 26th of April, Chelsea at home. If I said to you, Matt, let's do some maths here. 10 out of those 12 points, do they win the title? I still think they'll finish third. OK. Fourth. He's going to be unconvinced, but we'll we'll have him back on the show before the end of the season when Liverpool are have won it. three points yeah, it away from uh, winning the title. But back to that title race, and we're just four points separating the top four of Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, and first place Chelsea with just 12 games left, 13 for Manchester City. It is one of the most exciting title races in years. Uh, the mind games have be begun, and there's been a war of words between Jose Mourinho and uh, Arsene Wenger. But do they affect things on the pitch? Oh, I think they do. I mean, that, I don't think Mourinho would, would try them if they didn't they maybe affect things in a very small way but he's of the school that if you can make 1% difference it's, it's worth doing he seemed a lot more relaxed since coming back to England and the mind games that he's, he's been playing he's been doing so with a smile however I think he did cross a line last week by that quite vicious remark about Arsene Wenger results on the pitch will show who's right and wrong in the mind games but we're not going to discourage it as a press, certainly. Good back page copy. Arsenal have been knocked off top spot, talking of Arsene Wenger. They now sit in second. Uh, but, Jonathan, you spoke to Jack Wilshire for the Sunday Times at the weekend. Um, he's an impressive fellow, isn't he? Very, very yeah. uh, very honest, actually. A very open talker, it seems. Yeah, and what's nice about that is that, you know, he's gone through a few bad back page headlines or whatever this season. He's had the courage to, to sort of come back. And he's just one of those straightforward lads. He would rather that you ask him a question straight and he'd rather give an answer straight. His presence in the dressing room will be a good one for Arsenal because he's a proper Arsenal fan as well as a player. And he said to me that you know he felt a few players might have been just pinching themselves at, at being in contention, having not expected to be. He said, forget all that. We've actually got to believe that we can win this. There's no point sort of being happy to be in the race. We've got to try and win it. He sees himself as, as maybe being a bit of a, a spokesman for that Arsenal side. He's just willing to take responsibility, isn't yeah, he? He's one exactly. of those players that if he makes a mistake, it doesn't affect him. He'll still go and hunt the ball, wants it all the time. He's become a bit of a leader, I think, on the field. For, for Arsenal Football Club as well. So my only concern about Arsenal this year is, is a lack of goals. Ramsey missing out the team for a while. Giroud looks a little bit tired. But certainly I think Wilshere's had a good season. Yeah, the other thing that was interesting in Jonathan's interview is he suggested Liverpool were the best team that they played all season, which was uh, <laughs> fascinating. But Arsenal now nine years, of course, without a trophy, as the Chelsea manager reminded us this week. Um, here is the Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger's view, though, on that title race. Very open. Uh, only Chelsea can lose it now because we are in front. I say yes, we are in it. Yes, we will have a go for it. We'll absolutely give up everything to to go for it. 
And if uh, if we don't do it, I will take responsibility for it. Well, that was a, a strident comment from uh, Arsene Wenger. We should talk about Manchester City in terms of the race as well, having talked uh, about uh, Arsenal and Liverpool, um, a little on Chelsea as well. But, you know, City have scored at will all season. They haven't scored in their last two Barclays Premier League fixtures now, Chelsea and Norwich. That's going to have to change soon, isn't it? Uh, is it badly missing Fernandinho and Aguero, do you think? That's certainly been a factor, but I, I think there was maybe a bit of mental tiredness as much as anything. They definitely came back to the old Man City at the weekend. I was at the game against Chelsea and there was just more assurance about them the sooner they get Aguero back the more potent they are and a word about Chelsea as well are they the real deal? very good certainly the performance that uh, the Etihad in the Barclays Premier League was outstanding I thought that tactically Mourinho got it absolutely spot on negated the threat from Man City on the counter-attack looks so dangerous and Hazard for me has been right up there as one of the best players in the division all season so they're there and thereabouts a little bit like Arsenal I just think a lack of a top class centre forward will ultimately cost them the title. One other question to you about Chelsea, a pretty simple one as well, Matt, is if Romelu Lukaku had stayed a Chelsea player, do you think they'd be winning the title? I'm not sure because I'm not sure how much you'd have played. I don't think he would have played every game. Uh, he wouldn't have played every match, so I'm not sure it would have made that much of a difference if I'm, if I'm totally honest. Go on then, Jonathan, your, your top four, end well, of the season? My start of season top four was Chelsea, City... Man United and Arsenal and if I can just swap Liverpool for Man United there I'll, I'll stick to that So you're going Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Arsenal and you Matt uh, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal Wow, interesting, interesting um, I'm going to keep my powder dry until the end of the season and I'll reveal mine um, Coming up we'll be speaking to a Manchester <laughs> United great about better times being just around the corner You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrer well, it's been a difficult start to the year for Manchester United with just two wins in the league in 2014 so far. But there should be at least some good news coming out of Old Trafford this week. Wayne Rooney set to sign a new five-and-a-half-year contract, committing the strikers' future to the club until June 2019. Uh, does that count as a coup for the club and for David Moyes, Jonathan? I think it does because they need solid, guaranteed top-class players to build around. There's going to be a lot of transition there. And to nail Wayne Rooney down is going to be important because, you, you, you know, when you're rebuilding, you've got to build around something. He's very important to David Moyes. The sooner it gets sorted out, the better. Well, let's hear now from David Moyes, who's hoping for a stronger second half of the season. Well, all I can do, I keep saying it, but I'll try and win the next game and see if we can pick it up. You know, if there's one club in history who have been great at winning games in the second half of the season and putting pressure on the teams above it's been Manchester United we'll continue to try and do that and see if we can make it work we can only do our job the best we can and uh, we want to make it better we want to try and play better but we can't really bother about other teams we can only try and put pressure on from by winning our games well hopefully good times for them uh, Matt uh, lie ahead I mean how key will keeping Rooney be in terms of attracting other players to the club you'll know that as a as a player yourself I mean it, it must help surely yeah definitely I think um, you know when I've looked at Arsenal over the years and the players that they've sold I think as a player in the dressing room you're looking and going well Van Persie's going Fabregas is leaving you're thinking where are we going where's the ambition of the team now you're Man United you're struggling to finish in the top four probably the chances of Playing Champions League football next year is is limited. Probably going to have to win it to do that, which looks unlikely as well. You're always going to question where you're going as a team and as a club. And I think if you can keep Wayne Rooney, then it sends out the right message to players that you might be trying to buy in the summer. Juan Mata talks glowingly about Rooney when he arrived and Van Persie. And in keeping those players, it certainly sends out a good message to anyone they want to try and sign. And, and Matter's boosted Manchester United's squad. Is the jury still out a little bit on Matter as a United player in the same way that it maybe is as Ozil as, a, as an Arsenal player, that he's a hugely high-profile and seemingly significant signing, but still needs to prove that he can do it for them on the pitch? Of course. It's early days for him, and 
what they haven't done is found exactly the right way to use Rooney, Mata, Van Persie and Yanezai together. But those four potentially should be up there with anything in terms of an attacking quartet. In the couple of games Mata's had, I feel he's possibly been United's most consistent player. He's been the Mata that we know. He's been very good on in, in terms of linking midfield and attack, getting himself on the ball, makes good decisions when he's in possession. He plays that very quick, one-touch way of offloading the ball that, that, that's, that's very much a sort of Man United trait throughout the years. It, it's important for... For Man United to have made that signing, I feel, because of the reasons Matt was talking about. Yeah, um, what about a trip to Crystal Palace then this weekend for Manchester? That is a that's got banana skin written all over it, hasn't it? Well, particularly the job that Tony Pulis has done since arriving at, at Palace. You, know, you talk about being more difficult to beat under him. They don't score enough, Crystal Palace, but defensively they've improved hugely under him, and um, that's a, a real tough test for United this weekend. Well, to discuss the season's events at Old Trafford, I'm pleased to say that former Manchester United midfielder Lou Macari joins us now. Uh, thanks for joining us, Lou. No problem, thank you very much. Now, we've just been talking about Wayne Rooney. He could stay at Manchester United now for the next five and a half years. Is that good news for the club? Without a doubt. I mean, his record over the time he's been at Old Trafford is superb. There's no doubt about his goal scoring. I think in the time he's been there, he's got close to, on average, 20 goals a season. And 20 goals a season players cost a lot of money, and that's why Wayne's getting the contract that he's getting. Lou, do you see Wayne as a, as a future Man United captain? You know, normally captains are defenders and even sometimes goalkeepers. Not normally forwards, but I think when it's a case of getting the best out of a player, if you've got to get the very best out or even more out of them by giving them the captain's armband and you know it's going to whet his appetite to actually be the captain of Manchester United, then you do have to keep your best players and I think that with the money is enough to get Wayne to sign for the next five years for Manchester United. Lou, this season, did you expect that the transition from Sir Alex Ferguson to David Moyes would be as difficult as it has been? I knew it would be difficult, but I didn't think it would be as difficult as it has been. The reason I knew it would be difficult was because even though they were champions last season and I covered all the games for MUTV, they weren't very impressive. And at the end of the season, I was scratching my head a little bit trying to figure out how they'd managed to do it. United, as they did time and time again under Sir Alex, keep going. And you know, at one stage, there were 16 points clear and I thought, well, it's all over. And that was pulled back to 11 points come the end of the season. But simply because they weren't that uh, impressive last year in winning the title, I did think it would be difficult for David, but I didn't think it would be as difficult as it has been. Interestingly, that David Moyes insists that he still has his sights on the top four, despite obviously falling 11 points behind that fourth place. Uh, do you see it? I mean, is it likely that they're going to drag it back? It's going to be difficult, that's for certain. If any team that's as far behind as United are, you're chasing the teams above them, and they're all playing well at this moment in time. If they weren't, you'd have a glimmer of hope that you could achieve it. Anything's possible in football, but that little gap that's there, or a big gap that's there at this moment in time in the Barclays Premier League, I just think it's going to be too difficult for me to do it. I just, I don't see the other teams collapsing. Uh, and just finally, Lou, from you, I'd really like to get your opinion on this, taking a different tack. Um, we, of course, have been paying tribute to Sir Tom Finney earlier in the show. One of the best ever, in your opinion? I didn't see a great deal of Sir Tom Finney, but I've got to say all the players from back then and, and even few years after that what they had to do to make their fame and I was going to say fortune but there was no fortune for them you know they had to go to work sometimes before they went training then after training they did something else and of course there was a little matter of a war flung in there as well and people went to war for their country and it's so different nowadays I've got to say you know I was manager of Stoke and Sir Stanley Matthews used to come in regular and sit down in my office and have a cup of tea and 
what he did throughout his career and what he had to do and the countries he shot off to, to play football for. And it was quite remarkable. And it was sad to see, obviously, Sir Tom go, but what he did in football and what uh, all those players at that time have done in football is... Well, it's quite remarkable. The more I read about what they had to do, how they got to train, and all the things involved in being a footballer, it's quite amazing compared to nowadays. Yeah, absolutely, Lou. And thank you very much indeed for, for sparing your time as well. No problem. Thanks very much. Thank you. Much appreciated. That was uh, Lou Macari. And it, it does bring into... I mean, things have changed a lot since Lou's day. That United team, a terrific and entertaining team with Coppel and Cohen that he well, played in. But even since then, Jonathan... I think number of things. Financial's only one of them. I think players must have played through injuries all the time back in the day because that, that was your only way of... Well, you only have to see the way they walk. Well, you know, play, you know without all those injections yeah. and what have you. you and know? they had injuries then that, that finished career that nowadays are six weeks out with all the treatment and Lou also mentioned the war Tom Finney was I think he was 21 when he had to go and serve in the war you know the game was deprived of seeing him as a a, a fantastic young player coming through they lost parts of their career to that you know working as a plumber the modesty the the humbleness that these guys had as a result of that is, is part of a lost era Well coming up we'll be discussing the first German manager in the Barclays Premier League and we'll be speaking to former Stoke defender Danny Higginbottom about life after football Now, Barclays has been running the Barclays Twitter ticket competition for over the past couple of months, and you can win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. Here are some recent winning entries. From Bethany, my six-year-old son got me into the sport, and now we support Chelsea together. Manchester City fan Lucy Whitney, she says, we're the fans that never give up from the team that never gives up. Uh, Samantha Maxi says, I left Norwich versus Manchester United early to give birth to a new supporter. And Palace fan Michek Thompson said, I broke down on the motorway and then had to to drag the wife on a two-hour trek just to make the second half. Hashtag you are football. Well, there you go. Any tales, Matt? Any pre-match tales of having to get the tube to a game uh, and breaking uh, no, down and all that sort of stuff? Nothing quite um, as entertaining as that. When I was playing for uh, Ireland, I, th- I seem to remember having an accident with one of the police bikes, um, <laughs> which was was interesting. Um, but we still made kick-off in plenty of time. I think uh, he was all right. You've travelled a lot as a journalist. You must have had a few... Uh, you've been to more World Cups and Euros than Matt, I would imagine. So you must have had a few sort of harem scaring moments, have you? I've had a few, and anyone that knows me will confirm my timekeeping's not the best either, so I, I usually do cut it a little bit fine for games. But yeah, as a young journalist, I once managed to burn the clutch out of the uh, the office car on the way to, to Newcastle, had to get um, had to get rescued uh, and listened to the first 20 minutes in the um, in the cab of the, uh, the the rescue vehicle. The only goal of the game was scored in that 20 minutes. Thankfully, it's very good commentary, so I had a beautiful description of the action, which uh, I don't think the readers were any of the wiser. Yeah, it's always good, though, early in a job to burn out the office car, isn't it? Um, To have a chance of winning tickets to watch your club, tweet why you are football to at Barclays Footy using the hashtag you are football or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page. Well, I'm here with Matt Holland and Jonathan Northcroft as we look at the latest issues in the Barclays Premier League. We've spoken about the tension at the top of the table, but the fight to stay in the Barclays Premier League is the closest in history, with four points separating 10th place down to the relegation spots. Matt, it continues to be extraordinary down there. Pick any one of 10 clubs at the moment to be relegated. It is that close. West Ham have had a great run, won three games on the spin, and they've gone from 19th to 10th. It just shows how tight it is in the bottom half of the division this year. To pick the bottom three, at the moment, I think it's, it's very difficult. We, we talked about the top and how each team has got strengths and weaknesses. Likewise at the bottom, there's, there's, I think those that are not scoring enough goals are the ones that probably are, are going to go down. Well, eight of the bottom ten clubs, Jonathan, have broken their transfer record. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The last it's two transfer amazing. windows and... 
you know, manager changes as well, left, right and centre, it does show how important it is now. And also it yeah. shows the quality of the league below and how hard it is to get out of that. That's right. I mean, this this close sort of fight for avoiding relegation has happened in a year where the TV deal has just been increased and it's never been more important financially to stay in the Barclays Premier League and then the teams below are spending money as well and what we've seen is teams that have been relegated in recent years have not found it as easy to bounce back as as maybe you know 10-15 years ago all we know is that that, that famous cliche about it going down the wire is going to be certainly true and there can, be, there can be a lot of people down at the wire it could be could be you know three of seven on yeah. the last day couldn't it anyway one of those teams in the relegation mix is Stoke City who currently occupy 14th spot despite having the joint worst away record in the league they're unbeaten in their last three games and to speak a bit more about the Potters we're joined by their former defender Danny Higginbottom welcome to the show Danny morning lad you okay yeah not bad at all thanks so much for uh, joining us as well three games unbeaten now for Stoke 1-1 with Swansea at home 2-2 away at Southampton and that win against Manchester United uh, it's, yeah. what how would you rate this season? It's been in and out, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a transitional time from. But one thing they've done, I think, Mark Hughes came in and he stated that you know he was going to completely change the philosophy of how the, the team played. Um, you know, he tried to change things very, very quickly, and he changed the formation. He went to you know like a four-two-three-one, and it just didn't suit the players. When you're playing that type of formation, you've got to have speed in the team, and they didn't have that. And um, you know, he likes to Peter Crouch were getting isolated up front on their own and what he's done recently he's changed it and gone back to more of a favourable formation for them like a 4-4-1-1 and that's where they're starting to get the joy now you know they've got a bit of speed on the wings in Odden Wingy and SIED as well and they're starting to get the results now and you can see the players are more comfortable especially Charlie Adam Yeah we spoke to Charlie actually on the show after the United win he's been tremendous hasn't he? Oh he's been brilliant I think you've got to give him personally a lot of credit because he looks a completely different player now than what he did a year ago in terms of fitness wise he's last in the games now where Whereas I think under under Tony Pulis, he was you know, he was maybe only lasting maybe 65, 70 minutes at the most. Whereas now, you know, he's gone all the way through to 90 minutes and he's shown the ability that he had when he was at Blackpool. And, you know, it's great to see. And it's been a big change for Stoke as well, you know, his performances. And I think that's where the results are starting to turn for them as well. Danny, they've been brilliant at home. Um, had some terrific wins. Not so great away from home. What, why do you think that is? Under Tony Pulis, for me, you know, the... the prime reason we were poor away from home was that we had the smallest pitch in the Premier League and we could condense the space at home. That was the excuse when Tony Pulis was there. I think under Mark Hughes it's been the formation that he's been playing which was, you know, I think Chelsea in the FA Cup was a prime example. It, for me it was an embarrassing performance. It was it was awful. I think what you'll see now with the with the new formation that he's brought into it which suits the lads, I think you'll see some um, away performances start to start to work better for them and I think you know at Southampton I consider that a very good result the draw that they had there because Southampton are doing very well Danny it's noticeable that Mark Hughes is, is still relying on some stalwarts that, that, that Tony Poulos used Jonathan Walters Peter Crouch Glenn Whelan Shawcross and some of the other ones how important is their input going to be you know the, their experience and being able to hold their nerve during a relegation fight oh, it's, going to, it's going to be massive because you know like you've already mentioned there's going to be a lot of teams that that are involved in it. When I was in these situations before, I always used to look at my teammates. You know, forget all your technical ability and what have you. Going into the last few months of the season, it's all about who's got the strap in them, who's got the battling mentality. And I think Stoke have got enough battlers in there that if and, if and when it comes down to relegation, strap will be all right. You know, if you look at other teams, I think what's going on behind the scenes is, is a shambles. You look at Fulham, I have no idea what's going on there. You know, it, it's just one disaster after another behind the scenes. And you look at the players, they don't know what's going on, but I don't think too many of them are up for the fight. 
you know, you look at Cardiff as well, they've got good players in the up for the fight, but I just think about what Vincent Tan's doing behind the scenes. And, you know, I think they're the clubs that, that, I, that I would worry about more uh, than Stoke City. Danny, you obviously know Tony Pulis very well, having played for him, and I'm sure he's someone who's had a huge influence. So this is a bit of a mischievous question. I'm going to ask it anyway. If you put him in charge of any of, say, the bottom nine in the Barclays Premier League, would they have a better chance of staying up? 100%. Without a question, you look at Crystal Palace. You know, Ian Holloway left, and I like Ian Holloway. I think he's a, I think he's a very good manager, and he's proved that over the years. They were finished when Ian Holloway went. Everybody had written them off. Now Tony Pulis took the job, and before it even got to January the first, when he can make changes, he'd made such a big difference to that team. It was the same players. He's the master of getting the best out of his players to a system that suits the players, and actually getting out. Of, of trouble that they're in. You know, it's simplistic the way that he plays football. I think Crystal Palace will be safe. And yeah, he's had a good transfer window. And some of the players that he signed, he actually tried to sign at Stoke as well. So, you know, he knows a bit about these players. They're not just random players that he's gone and picked. And I think under his leadership, I think he will keep them up. I think it, w- it will be his biggest challenge. But I look at Crystal Palace's team and I think it's as good, if not possibly better, than Stokes in the first year that Stokes in the Premier League. Twitter question for you, Danny, from one of our listeners. Um, yeah. Now you've retired from playing, do you have any ambitions to coach or manage, or do you have other plans? No, I'm really enjoying the media side of things. You know, things have been things have been full on with the media. You know, six days a week, and it's been great. I'm playing two last games for uh, for Gibraltar in March uh, to finish my career off, and they've approached me about you know helping them out, going on their staff for the uh, for the Euros. So that's something that, that I'm looking into, but. At, at the moment where I stand on that, I'm loving doing. All footballers, I'm sure Matt would be nodding away to this, say they miss playing, though. Um, do, are, you, do you th- are you already missing it? Or or, or or are you sort of, were you over it kind of thing? I'm going to be honest and say I couldn't miss it any less. I think the way that it happened for me, I had a year left at Sheffield United. I near enough walked away from that because I wasn't enjoying it. I went to Chester, which was part-time in the conference. That gave me a little bit of a transitional period, whereas I was doing my media work and then Chester. And, you know, I'd had enough of that. And then I went to Altrincham, which is my local club, just to try and get me through to the end of the season because, you know, it means a lot to me playing for Altrincham. I played for two games, got home and just said to my wife, said, that's me done. And I've had enough. You know, the way I'm feeling now, I don't really miss it and I'm happy to be saying that. Danny, thanks very much indeed for your time and your honesty and good luck as well with Gibraltar with those two games. Look forward to finding out about those. Cheers, Ed, thank you. And that was uh, Danny uh, Higginbottom. And Matt, you were sort of nodding along with a little smile there. Was that the same feeling as no, you no, had? No, I really miss it. Do you? Yeah. I but def- you, so you, I you didn't have a sort of Damascene moment like uh, no, like Danny did, no? No, I, just, I wish I was still playing now. Even this summer, I'll, I'll probably play 10 or 12 times because I can't wait to get the boots back on. I agree with some of the things you were saying about being able to do things with your family and having a weekend where you can actually say, you know what, I'm not working this weekend, I'm going to go and go to a wedding or whatever because you couldn't do that when you were playing. But I miss it so much, really, and, and I wish I was still playing. You've still got the magic when you play now and you, you say 10 or 12 games, you still got those sort of, you know, 10-yard passes to, have, to the target. Did I ever have any magic? <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to shoot from outside the box. It doesn't reach anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, sitting at the bottom of the league, a team that I'm sure could do with Matt Holland and his pomp, Fulham, who last weekend appointed their third manager of the season, extraordinarily, really. The former Bayern Munich coach, Felix, Magat has taken over from Rennie Mullenstein, but does the top flight's first German manager think he can avoid relegation? Yeah, sure, I can do that because I have done it uh, sometimes before in Germany. 
I take over clubs in a similar situation uh, like Fulham and I'm very confident that I can do it once more here in England with Fulham. Well, that was Fulham's new manager, Felix Magat, speaking to Fulham TV. And I have to say, Jonathan, when I heard this, um, he was on the way to Hamburg. I mean, he was pretty much, I thought, signed, sealed, delivered. The club that's closest to his heart almost crashed the car, Magat for Mm. Fulham. What do you make of it and what can you tell us uh, about him? Uh, He has been successful, but in in an idiosyncratic way. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. If you look at his uh, career in Germany, uh, I think he's like nothing we've seen in the Bartley's Premier League before. Maybe he's mellowed, but the stories of what he used to get up to are incredible. I mean, you find a player €10,000 once for not tracking back, €500 for letting a high ball bounce. Stories of him making the players go on long training runs and then, you know, when they come back on the point of exhaustion, hiding their water bottles just to see how they react. He does have a track record of getting clubs out of, of trouble. What's interesting is that for somebody with that track record he'd actually been out of work since 2011 and I think he'd got the point maybe in German football where his methods were seen as just too extreme too outdated it's such a difference in management I I wonder sometimes when clubs make these changes that just based on no continuity whatsoever because what you get is a manager with a completely different philosophy taking over a squad that's assembled by somebody else and he doesn't have much time to to get it right it's a shame that Berbatov and Tarabt aren't still there because it'd be a fascinating social experiment to, well, in fact, a financial experiment to see how much he could find Dimitar Berbatov in training for not doing some of the uh, effortful things that he likes. I must admit, I, everyone, I think, thought of <laughs> Berbatov straight away and how relieved he must be sitting somewhere on in a, a beachside bar in Monaco, yeah, enjoying himself. <laughs> He's obviously a manager who uh, succeeds at lower level. He did very well at Bayern in terms of his results, but eventually was dispensed with because he's maybe not a manager of very, very good players, but a very good manager of, of sort of lower down players. It's a risk, but he could be perfect for Fulham, man. I mean, they, they're, they're the point for, is they needed something, didn't they? They're looking for a short-term impact. We saw it yeah. last year with Sunderland. Paolo Di Canio came in, lifted the club and kept them safe in the division. And they're looking for something similar. Good luck to him. I personally, slightly biased, big fan of Alan Kirbishley. Having worked with him at Charlton, he was on the staff at Fulham and I think he would have been perfect to, to take over the role and keep Fulham in the Barclays Premier League. I think there will be a, a bit of a lift by a new manager coming in. We've seen it already at, at other clubs, but I would like to see Alan Kirbishley get the job. I saw you wince when Jonathan mentioned a €10,000 fine for not tracking back. How well, much... That was all right. That was, yeah, been okay. I, I, I've been all right with that. There well, been the a few other, other elements yeah. in the game that might have cost other you. Other elements in the game might have cost me a bit of money, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be fun finding out with Felix Magat. And who knows, maybe all the uh, the publicity surrounding his methods will take the pressure off the players, sort of a la, a lower mm. down level, a la Mourinho or something like that. We shall see. Next we go, though, from the newest top flight manager to the youngest. Swansea club captain Gary Monk replaced Michael Laudrup as head coach at the start of this month. The Swans are 10th in the table, but only four points from the relegation spots. They travel to Liverpool on Sunday. And Monk says he wants to players to treat him as they always have. I've always been uh, someone they can talk to and come and speak to and I speak to him about everything you know and then all of a sudden you get into this position and I said some things don't change I was, I'm still the same around the changing rooms and stuff but when it's time to work I work and I've always been like that as a player but away from that I can have a laugh and a joke and talk about other things apart from football and I think they realise that and I think that's the advantage I have at the moment like you know and the key to that now is just making sure that they continue to do it and it doesn't affect anything and that's what I have to be conscious of really. You'll never make everyone happy and that's what you have to realise in your head but you have to make those ones that aren't happy as supportive as possible to the team and from now, from this moment on time and I understand it's fresh and it's new and it's probably great and I know along the line it's probably not going to be as good as that like in terms of 
you know, people being unhappy with this and that, but what can I do? That's life. That's professional football. At the end of the day, you're a footballer, but the word professional comes with it. Every time he talks to us, you're like his star, Gary Monk. Very, very uh, interesting talker. We'll talk to the guys about him in a, in a moment, but it's all changed for Swansea at the top. There's one man, though, who's seen it all there. Kevin Johns is the club chaplain, but he's also the stadium announcer, radio host, actor, and I'm told, pantomime dame. I've never said that before on this show. Hello, Kevin. How are you, mate? Is that, is that true, firstly? Yeah, well, it is all true, yeah. I'm going to have to master one of those one day, aren't I? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one's the right one to get right. Um, radio host, the only one I've tried. I'm certainly nowhere near getting that. Um, how do did you get involved then with all of this at, uh, at Swansea? How long have you been there? I've always been a Swansea City fan. I've supported the club since I was maybe eight year old. You know, I had a season ticket with my dad as a young age. So I've always been a Swansea City supporter. I don't have a second team, really. And I was sitting in the stands and I was doing some promotional work for the, the Worthington Cup, which involved going around the country comparing the Worthington Fives and doing some stuff at Wembley. And they put a little bit in the paper saying the Swans never made it to Wembley, but Kev did. And the Swans rang up and said, well, how come you don't do this football entertainment for us? They said, well, you've never asked me to. And they said, well, we're asking. I said, yeah, fine, we'll do it. So that's how I got involved in the 90s and I've been part of the club ever since. And you're Swansea's very own club chaplain, aren't you? Do most clubs have a chaplain? Yeah, what does that role entail? I grew up, I never wanted to be anything other than an actor, but I, I changed around the college years and went to theological college and became a minister in Liverpool, North Wales, and, and back here in South Wales. And um, when the club agreed to have a chaplain, when the current board took over, they asked me and they wouldn't have anybody else because I'd been fulfilling those duties anyway. So um, I'm fully ordained. And it's, yeah, most clubs do have a chaplain, not just in football, rugby league, rugby union, horse racing, golf, Formula One. All sports uh, have chaplains. I get 24 hours in my day. I think the Matt and Jonathan are the same. How many do you get? Because I'm not sure how you have time to do all of this. Yeah, life is like that. And people say, you know, how do you fit everything in? But, you know, we have one life. When we do a play, we have several rehearsals. There's no rehearsal. We're straight in on opening night and right through to the final curtain. So you've got to make as much of it, as best of it as you can. I wish I had time to ask you to do your party piece, to do a speech or something, but I'm going to have to ask you instead, where do you expect um, Swansea to finish uh, this season? What would your prediction be? I think we're around about where we are. You know, the Premier League is a strange table. There are almost four different leagues there in the table. Top four, then the next few, then there's another group, then another group. The gap between 10th and 9th is quite considerable for the amount of games there. So I would expect us to finish 10th. 11th, 12th, which is great, you know, because that's where we've been for the, all the three seasons we've been in the Premier League. And I know the points gap between us and the bottom is very small, but we play good football. We've got a great manager and there's a lot more teams worse than us in the Premier League. Um, and you'd expect me to say Cardiff as one of them, wouldn't you? <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but they are. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think we'll be all right. Gary Monk, you know, he's an intelligent man. I heard you, you comment on him there. And I've never, ever doubted that one day Gary Monk would play some sort of role in coaching or management at Swansea City Football Club. I didn't think it would come this soon, but it was inevitable it would happen. If it doesn't work out for him, Kevin, I'm going for you as the next manager. But thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you very much indeed. That was uh, Kevin Johns, uh, the club chaplain, and many other things at Swansea. And a quick word from you guys about uh, Gary Monk as well. Some people just got that calmness and... They impress you. I don't know about you, Jonathan, but yeah. he, he, he does that with me, I think. And I know what you mean. He, every time he talks, you, you think there's a bloke with substance there. I mentioned continuity earlier with relation to Fulham, and it looks to me like Swansea have done something quite clever here because they, they, they felt they'd lost the way a little bit. They've gone to a guy who was captain under Martinez, captain under Rodgers, who knew exactly what it took to get Swansea to the position of being a, a Bartley's Premier League team and, and, and then a, a trophy-winning team. And he knows the principles of football that they, they used. He knows what the dressing room was like. He knows the DNA of the club. And 
it's an appointment made on that basis. He's put players like Leon Britton back in the team, super player. I like to see that. So far, it looks like it's really working. You're the same, Matt. You impressed, or you think it's yeah. a good way to go? No, I, absolutely. I think he will be a, uh, a very good manager for them. I was a little bit disappointed in his team selection at Everton in the FA Cup, having tasted victory at Wembley the previous season. I know they've got the Europa League match uh, this week as well, but at the same time, you know, I think when you're that close, I just was a little bit disappointed in his team selection. But I think he will be a very good manager in the long term. Before we go, let's take a look at the weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures after a week off for the FA Cup. Uh, Saturday gets underway. 12.45 is Chelsea against Everton. And then we have Arsenal, Sunderland, Cardiff, Hull, Man City, Stoke, West Brom, Fulham, West Ham, Southampton and at 5.30 Crystal Palace against Manchester United. Then on Sunday, in order, Liverpool, Swansea, Newcastle, Villa, Norwich against Tottenham. Matt, which games stand out for you? I look forward to seeing Felix Magat and and how many players he finds on Saturday uh, against West Brom. I'm looking forward to that one. I think Chelsea Everton stands out and Man United going to Palace. I think that's going to be a a real tricky game for them. It's funny how it changes. Pre-season, if you'd said Pepe Mel against Felix Magat, (laughs) you would have thought you were crazy, but it's the way these things work. Um, Which game are you going to be at this weekend? All games indeed, Jonathan? Yeah, just the one. I'll be be at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea Everton. Great game, that one. But because of what we've been talking about, the excitement in this league, there's great fixtures everywhere. I mean, Cardiff Hall, that's so big for Cardiff. And then you look at West Brom, Fulham, Magat, but also West Brom need to win. I agree with Matt that Man United going to, to Palace is going to be a very, very tricky one for them. And then you've got Liverpool, Swansea, which if Liverpool are going to mount a title challenge, they've got to win games like that. But, you know, there's something riding on every fixture there. Get the feeling with Liverpool, Swansea, that could finish 7-3 or something. But we'll we'll see, probably a nil-nil draw uh, after that comment. Why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy. So thanks very much indeed for your company, Matt Holland and uh, Jonathan Northcroft. Just finally, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. Fulham's Felix Magat is the only German to ever manage a Barclays Premier League club. But can you name the three German players to have won a Barclays Premier League medal? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we'll reveal it on the site later in the week. We'll be back next Tuesday as we reflect on Magat's first match in charge at West Brom. A huge game for leaders Chelsea against Everton and Sunderland's trip to the Emirates to face Arsenal. But until then, from Matt, from Jonathan and from me, Dave Farah, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Barclays.